it is a virtue, they say. There we go. Um, last week, we began a new series, short series, before we headed to Advent on different themes related to the topic of money and finances. And if you were here last week, we talked about uh, David and David's this act of extreme and, and humble and joyful generosity and gratitude that David shows in First Chronicles 29. And we were asking, well, what prompts a person to become so generous? Like what, what's going on in their hearts that they're actually willing to just give, give out of, uh, out of what they've been given? And, and we reflected on that. And, and as we looked at David's own promise and his own prayer in that passage, we realized David's able to give and be generous because he recognizes everything he has is already a gift from God. It's already all his. And he's a steward of it, and he's able to give because he can trust in the one who gave it to him in the first place. So he's able to be generous and, uh, and, and, and trust God, even as we were led to, to think about this morning, to trust God, even as he's able to give and give sacrificially. And David prays at the end of that passage last week. He says, Lord, keep us in this place. It's like, Lord, in this place of where we're, we're willing and joyful and humble and we're seeking you. Lord, keep us in that place. Keep, us, keep our attitudes in that place where we want to seek you first. I love that idea of uh, it's almost like a, a compass point, you know. Um, our attitudes can, be, can, can pull us. Uh, sometimes our own sort of desires of our hearts can kind of pull us away from God, and yet we kind of keep focused on Him, uh, kind of keep the true north as it were. Our hearts remain this really healthy spot of being generous and, and willing to give, seeking the Lord, all that kind of thing. So easy to go sidetracked from that, right? But there's this call here in, in Chronicles to kind of return back to God. And for us as Christians, the other side of the cross we can look to God not only as the one who gives us life and our creator, but also Jesus as our redeemer, the one who actually comes and lays down his life on the cross so we can have salvation. So how much more are we called to, to act and live out of this sort of gospel generosity that God's shown us? So that's all brilliant and good, and of course it affects not just how we deal with our wallets, but how we deal with all of them, whether we're sort of giving kind of the core of our being, or we kind of uh, crowd in and keep things sort of to ourselves. This week is a, is a different sort of theme, um, but also on the same topic. And I want to talk about the allure of money, uh, um, which we often just call greed, but specifically at the longing. Underneath these verses, as Michelle read to us, there's this deep longing for a, a rich and meaningful life, rich in the sense of sort of good and purposeful and vibrant. And there's this, this desire to seek a life that is worthwhile. And we have sort of examples in this passage of someone who goes sideways in that search and someone who who fulfills the quest, as it were, and actually finds joy and meaning in life. All of us, all of us have this deep desire to live a meaningful life, don't we? It's at the core of our, of our hearts as human beings, this longing to do something meaningful, uh, to contribute to society, to do something worthwhile, whatever that means. So that's what we're going to jump into. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature section of the Old Testament. And uh, the author here, it's quite, it's kind of a hilarious book and also kind of depressing because his whole, his whole point is he's looking around at life and he's seeing all these ways in which life just falls apart. He's really honest 
about tragedy in life. And he'll often say, it's all vanity. That's kind of his favorite line. It's vanity of vanities. That thing's worthless, and that's worthless, and that never pans out, and this other thing, that never works out either. And so what are we going to do? And he keeps coming back to fear the Lord, come back into right relationship with God, live that life well, even though life around you might be really messed up. And so here, he's talking about the dangers of, of a, a misplaced longing and, and tying that into a longing for wealth. That's what he's getting at. And so let's look at verse 10. 10 to 12. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's kind of this idea, this longing for fulfillment, this desire for meaning and purpose. There's all sorts of ways we can seek to fulfill that. And that's what's coming out in verse 10 here. You won't be satisfied. If you love money for money's sake, you'll never be satisfied with it. You'll never have enough. We talked about that last week too. Quotes from famous rich people who are asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And the response is often just a little more, right? About 10% more than I have right now is actually what they often say. Here the call is, uh, if you love the wealth for its own sake, it's going to be back to you. But if you are content with what you have, this is verse 12, sweets the sleep of the labor, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's this longing here to fulfill something, to fulfill something in our hearts. And and if we seek to fulfill that longing, if you seek to fulfill that longing in your lives by just getting more money or working harder, it's going to go sideways. It just won't fulfill. I recently watched this talk um, by Rabbi Zacharias on pornography, which so so many of us struggle with today. Huge, huge issue. But pornography becomes the pursuit of a feeling, a a sensation, uh, rather than a real person. And so there becomes this point, as if you're addicted to pornography, where there's there's sort of no true person who can kind of satisfy this craving that you then begin to have, and ultimately it objectifies other people, dehumanizes other people into what they can kind of do for me, or elicit a feeling within me. And it violates, this is what this is what happens with pornography, it actually violates the personhood of others, right? These people are made in God's image, and now I've dehumanized them into objects that I look at for my own fulfillment. And so at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it nears idol worship, in a sense, because we've dehumanized someone and used them for our own gain. And that was, Ravi's point was, we've turned it into seeking a certain feeling to fulfill ourselves, the longing for something, but it won't satisfy. Money doesn't satisfy. Pornography won't satisfy. But here's the great dilemma. That desire we have for fulfillment, that desire we have for purpose, that's a good desire. It's what we do to try and satisfy that desire that can go sideways on. When we seek to fulfill that deep longing with something like money, just riches for its own sake, or something like pornography, we'll eventually just find ourselves further and further down a pit that we can't get out of. 
It's not the desire that's wrong, it's the way we seek to fulfill that. And when we seek to satisfy that desire apart from God, we get into all sorts of trouble. And we're reminded of this, so reminded of this on Wednesday night. Um, a, a number of us were at the Adult Teen Challenge fundraising concert, right? Which was really, really, really good. And um, But stories, right? You hear these testimonies. Here's people who have sought to fulfill that longing in their lives and turning to drug and alcohol addiction, right? It's that same idea that's happening here in Ecclesiastes, but regarding money. There's the longing we have, but if you fulfill that in ways that are apart from Jesus, it won't satisfy. And what's so great about Adult Teen Challenge that they even mentioned specifically was we know our, our recovery program works. There's the pedigree. And we also know that what's different from other recovery agencies is that we put Jesus right in the middle of it. It's all about him. And it's absolutely true. And we have personal examples of that in our congregation. It was really, really good. And actually, I asked Robbie, I don't, he's, I don't know if he's made it public yet. I asked him how much money was raised. And he said, you can tell your people on Sunday, it was close to 10 grand. Wow. It was really good. So be excited about that. I think he's going to put that in a letter, a follow-up letter. But yeah, really significant. Team Challenge wants to get an office started here in Dryden to help uh, counter drug addiction and bring awareness and all that. So it's really, really exciting. But it points again to this issue, this longing we have to fulfill something. We need God to fulfill that longing. And when we seek it apart from him, we run into all kinds of trouble. I love this quote from St. Augustine. He said this, he said, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. Our hearts are restless till we find our rest in you. So this morning, where are you trying to find rest? Is there someone or something in your life that you're seeking to bring fulfillment to yourself apart from Jesus? And I encourage you, find your rest in the one who can truly satisfy, the one who can truly bring life. And Jesus invites you into that rest today. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to have wealth. That's not the issue here. The issue is to recognize it won't ultimately satisfy the longings we have to be fulfilled as people. It won't bring salvation. So the first point here in these first verses is that greed never really satisfies. The second chunk, from verses 13 to 16 or so, 17, illustrate another point, which is that greed can actually distract you from true life. Let me read these verses to us again. He says, There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner, but to his hurt. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. <clears throat> How many of you can relate? Oh no. <laughs> the riches were lost in a bad venture. I bought the thing and it was terrible, right? He is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother womb, mother's womb, so shall he go back, right? You can't take any of this with you. Now you've got nothing to give as an inheritance to the next generation. That's kind of what it's getting at, right? Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? So he did all this work, then he lost it all. He can't enjoy it. His son can't enjoy it. And now all his days, verse 17, he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. This is just destroyed. It's just 
Maybe you've lived in this moment where you eat vexation and sickness and anger. I pray you never do. This sounds absolutely the worst. <laughs> this is like the worst, worst possible spot you can be. Right? So he's, this guy's endured all this hardship and sacrifice that he loses everything in this bad investment, whatever it was. And uh, now he, he's experienced loss. He can't enjoy it. And, and to make matters worse, he has a family to provide for it. He can't provide for them. He can't give his kids anything. Um, and now he's just in this terrible state, verse 17, right? And the point here is, it's better to use the money wisely. It's better to use the resources that God's given you wisely and not be so caught up in them that you will, you will eventually miss out on relationships with others. <laughs> I think of the, the danger that can happen. Um, many of us wouldn't say that we're greedy, but there's a danger in turning our work into a sort of idol that we do to such a degree that we actually miss out on relationships with others. And I, I need to be cautious of this in my own life, that I make sure I set up time for my family. In fact, um, I think it's Eugene Peterson, he said, you make appointments for your family. You make sure you slot them into your calendar. So that when someone asks, are you available on such and such a meeting, you can look. And you're actually able to say, this is pastoral secret, by the way. So, you're actually able to say, actually, I have a commitment that day. Because if you say, well, I'm actually open, as in I'm just at home with my family, it sounds, <laughs> it's easy to make yourself become available for things that aren't crucial. Uh, but if you say, well, actually, I have a commitment, because you do, I'm going to be there with my family. Uh, it helps create healthy boundaries so you can actually do what you want to do and are called to do. Um, that said, if you call me in the evening, I'm not going to just ignore you. It's okay. Uh, but some things can wait till morning. Some things can wait till morning. I was really struck by this, this whole idea of, of, of missing out on family time, missing out on, as a guy especially, because there's this... There's just this desire in our hearts to provide well, to work well for our families. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, husbands in the room. You guys, there's just this desire we have to provide and try and, most of us anyway. I'm sure there's a few guys out there who are just meatballs who don't, don't have this love. Anyway, most of us have this innate desire to try, try and provide well. And when we were dating, Sarah and I read these books. These are great books. It's called For Men Only and For Women Only. And if you are married, you should probably read them. And if you're dating, you should probably read them too. But Jeff takes, uh, tells the story that he took this job at this law firm because he wanted to make his wife feel secure, right? So he's working lots and he's making lots of money um, because he thinks that's what's going to make his marriage work well. And he says this. He says, I proceeded to work 80-hour weeks for the next five years to pay for it all. And during that time, whenever Shanti said that I was choosing work over her or that I didn't care about her needs, I got upset. How can she accuse me of not caring about her when I'm busting my tail to prove exactly that? I need to do whatever I can to ensure that she doesn't feel financially insecure. How many of you guys can relate to this, right? I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure we're okay. If that means I have to work really long hours or stick with a job that I don't like all that much, so be it. The trouble is, when you ask women 
and they did this survey, this professional national survey of 3,000 women. They asked this question. If you had to choose, this is a question for the women, if you had to choose between these two bad choices, would you rather endure financial struggles or struggles arising from insecurity or a lack of closeness in your relationship? And 70% of married women said they prefer to be financially insecure than endure a lack of closeness with their husbands. And all the women are going, yeah, duh. <laughs> the problem is for us guys, we, we, we think the working and the hours equals the love and the providing, which should equal the security. And for us in our heads, that computes that way, but for girls, it just doesn't. It's not the same thing. And Sarah and I talked about this. She would rather us go through things that are, go through a hard financial situation, but know that, that we're okay, her and I are okay, than to have lots of money and be fine, but to grow farther apart. And that sounds obvious from the outside, but when you're in the thick of it, it's easy to lose track of that. So guys, she wants your time and your attention. She wants that emotional security. That means making an effort to be present and to be with the kids and to be at home and to make an effort to provide so long as it doesn't interfere with that stuff as well. And guys, it's okay if you don't work as much as you thought you needed to. If it means you can be at home a little more. It really is. Can you see how a good desire, though, can get twisted into something else, right? And Ecclesiastes shows us we can get so lost in this, seeking to provide well, that it goes sideways and we end up missing out on our families. And so greed, that desire to, to provide well, but in a twisted sense, can actually distract us from true life and become slippery and subversive. The antidote to that is to find our heart's rest in Christ. The greed won't satisfy. Greed will distract us from true life. And that brings us to this last chunk of verses 18-20. And here, the call is to know God and enjoy the life you've been given. I think that's hilarious and great. It's okay to enjoy the life you've been given. Rather than devoting ourselves to making lots of money just for money's sake, again, that's okay, but if you're doing that just for money's sake, you're going to run into trouble. You can find true life in gratitude and all that God's given. And look what he says verse 18. It's good and fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God's given him. This is his lot. And then verse 20, and I love this. He'll not remember much the days of his life, meaning there'll be issues, but he might not be totally obsessed, obsessed with them all because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Man, wish my heart was occupied by joy. Lord, would you occupy me with joy, please? It's a good place to be. Enjoying the goodness of a meal, being thankful for the work God has given us, good work that contributes to society. These are ordinary daily things, doing these things well results in a contented life. It frees us to find rest in God rather than scurrying for money, rather than losing ourselves in addictions, rather than losing ourselves in our work. Perhaps for some of us that's a challenge. 
but finding our security and our rest in God, not just in ourselves. We have this picture up in our house by the boys' bedrooms, and it's uh, this quote from Mother Teresa, and it just says, do small things with great love. And uh, it used to be in the bathroom of the, of the bathtub. You know, when we used to bath the kids, I'd be like, okay, here we go. This is crazy, we're bathing the kids, right? Do the small things with great love. Ah! So, in there, don't splash the thing, right? Get more towels. Don't push your brother under, you know. Put them to bed. Sleep. These are small things. Do them with great love. So my prayer for us, when I think about this, and the, just the, the slipperiness of my own heart to get worried about finances, to get worried about work, to get worried about what we have or don't have, and I come back to this passage... Lord, would you occupy me with joy? Lord, would you help me to have a contented heart so that when I'm going through life and I see that house that's bigger than mine, I don't get all worked up about how maybe I'm not a good good enough husband or a good enough dad or something. You know, like our hearts go so weird. Lord, help me be happy with what you've given me because it's enough and it's good and I'm able to give and we're living so much better than so many people. It's really okay. And Lord, help me to trust that you've got me and you've got my kids. You've got my wife. Help me not to get so caught up in my own world and my own issues that I'm not present to them. Would you occupy my heart with joy? I find it so interesting. It's precisely, folks, in our day-to-day life. This is work and family and meals and caring for loved ones that God invites you into a rich life with him. Seek him in the ordinary life. Find him there when you're doing the dishes. And as you seek him and seek that simple goodness in life, you will find a contentment and a wholeness and a security. That search for wealth will likely not satisfy. Not belonging in our hearts. It can be good to it can be good to use that money wisely to care well for ourselves and our families and be able to give away. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we put our identity, when we seek our security out of our wealth, we run into trouble. And Jesus invites us to rest. How many of us this morning are in places where we just need to rest? Physically, for this one. We're into it. Many of us are tired. We're tired of trying to figure out life on our own. And Jesus at the cross invites us to lay down our sin and our sorrows and our brokenness, all the ways we try to fulfill this longing. Apart from Him, He invites us to come and to lay down our lives, and to repent, to trust in Him, to follow Him to embark on a new life that's full of love and forgiveness and hope and salvation. So he invites you today to rest in that gift. Rest in him. Hope in God, not in your material wealth. Find life in your friends and your family. Seek God in the work that he's put before you, that daily work. He's waiting for you. And as we head to the table, as we pray and as we take some time just to 
repent and to set our hearts before God here in a few minutes. I want to ask these questions, just coming off of Ecclesiastes. It's what allure, it may not be money for you, it might be pornography for you, it might be something else, it might not be a workaholism, it might be something else, but what allure is there in your life that seems to pull you away from intimacy with God? What is that? Take some time to identify it, to name it. The second question is, how is God calling you to rest in his goodness? Where is he calling you to lay that burden down and just come to him, just abide in him? The third question is, where is God calling you to enjoy the simple pleasures of life and your friends and your family? Maybe some of you, you do that, you just got that nailed. You're good. For others of us, getting together with families may be tough. It's hard to say we've got these friends, but we hardly ever connect with them, right? And that's that's me. Got these friends, I haven't talked to you in years. You know, it's my friend. Where can we take that time, maybe this week, to confront the allures, to find our rest in Jesus, and to enjoy the simple goodness of the life God's given us? Let's take time to do that. Perhaps most of all to ask, is your heart restless? Come find rest in Christ. Let's pray as we come to the table. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've given us a longing and a desire to be close with you, to walk with you, uh, to live in in a place of intimacy and trust with you. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Yet we have this longing, we have this desire for true life and for salvation, to walk with you. Then I pray, Lord, that you would reach out to these ones, that you would open our hearts. And just as we pray, if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to just pray this prayer, even in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for me. I believe you died and you rose again. I repent of my sins. I repent of the ways I've sought to fulfill this longing in my heart apart from you. Lord, would you come and cleanse me? I take you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to find my rest and my hope in you. Lord, for those of us that have walked with you for many years, it's easy for us to get sidetracked in life. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to confront the temptations in life to get sidetracked. Lord, you would help us to rest in your goodness, to seek your face. And Lord, you help us to open our hearts and our eyes to enjoy the, the simple, ordinary goodness of life that you've given us. Jesus, as we come to this table, we recognize that our life and our hope is in you because of your work at the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you gathered us together as we celebrate your death and your resurrection. In your name, amen. amen. We're going to come to the table.